All right, we'll ask everyone to make their way back to their seats, and we're going to continue. So once again, welcome everyone. Welcome to Christ Central Church. Thanks for being with us this morning, and thanks to those who are joining online. My name's Joe Crummy, and I'm going to be speaking today, but just wanted to share a couple of things by way of thank you as we get started. And so I just want to thank, again, Marcel Lebrun and Steve Patterson from 12 Neighbors, who were here with us last Sunday. Very encouraging and uh, really provoking as Marcel brought that message for us to love and to serve like Jesus uh, loves and serves. And so just a lot of positive feedback this week, and so great, again, for that partnership with them. And I just want to thank all those who, again, helped serve at the Memorial for Paul um, this past Sunday. And so I want to thank especially Dave and Suzanne and Graham and those who were on the AV. There was a lot of uh, moving parts last Sunday, both morning and afternoon, so they did a great job, so much appreciate it. And Jean, once again, our love and our prayers are with you and your family, and so we thank you that we could celebrate together Paul's life, and so what an honor that was. Well, today we're going to continue our series on formation and how God forms us as Christ followers to be more like his son Jesus, and uh, he does that both individually and together as a local church and across the world. And there's all kinds of different ways that God does this, and His Holy Spirit's always drawing us and revealing Jesus to us and transforming us. And I understand that we're all sort of at different stages of that journey and of maturity, and some of us are just starting to get to know Jesus. Some have been following Jesus for a long time. And what we've been really focusing in on is this, is that we need to behold Jesus. And so we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what God's Word encourages us to do. And as we do that, we get changed. And what we've been trying to do over these last number of weeks is we've been looking at different aspects of Jesus, who Jesus is. As we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, then who Jesus is and who we are in light of who Jesus is affects and changes our identity, which then affects our purposes, our lifestyle, our decisions, our behaviors. Do you follow that? So, If you want to change yourself, it's not so good to always just go inside. We have to first behold Jesus, and we're looking at Jesus, and everything in worship this morning is beholding Jesus. And as we do that, and we understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, we are changed as we look at Jesus, and our identity lines up with who Jesus says we are. And we've been tackling this whole thing about how the world says, just be true to yourself. And we've been saying, oh, it's so close, but actually so far. The Bible says this, be true to yourself for who you are in Christ, as Christ followers. So we've been spending time looking at Jesus, lining up our identity with who he says we are, which then affects our lifestyle, our choices, and our behavior. And you're going to say, Joe, why are you spending so much time on this? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, if we don't, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, folks, someone else or something else is forming us, and we can even become, and this is one of my greatest fears, especially here in Fredericton, is sometimes I can get up and say, you know, if we don't follow Jesus, we can be empty, which could be true. We can be unfulfilled, which could be true. We can feel lost, which could be true, and I can go through all the different things, and But here's the scary thing in affluent Fredericton. We can be so, so comfortable (laughs) that we can actually miss our purpose in life. And our purpose in life is to know God, 
to enjoy God and to be about his purposes and plans now and for eternity. And if we don't behold Jesus, we're looking and fixing our eyes on someone or something else, and it can kill us. So that's why it's so important, and that's why we keep coming back to this. So we've been looking at Jesus as our creator, and in Christ we're a new creation. Just a quick review, we've been looking at Jesus as the son of God, and in Christ we are sons of God. We've been looking at Jesus as king of kings, and in Christ we're citizens of heaven, we're ambassadors of his kingdom. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus as our high priest, and in Christ we are a priesthood. So let's read our scripture together. And so if you're able, um, I think it's on the next screen, let's read this together, okay? This is from the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. So why don't you read this with me? Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So let me just unpack that a little bit, okay? So Jesus is our high priest. In the context that the writer of Hebrews was writing, he was writing to a Jewish audience who would understand, maybe probably more than us, what's going on. So let me just give some context to it. The Jewish people would have understood Old Testament. The nation of Israel had 12 tribes, and out of those 12 tribes, one of them, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, were chosen to be priests to help serve for the rest of Israel. And so that one tribe were all priests, and that was their, they were the priesthood, and they represented the people to God. And out of that priesthood, there would be one guy who was chosen to be the high priest. And so he had a very special job, and on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest is the one who went into the Holy of Holies. He had access there. He's the one who brought the sacrifices, and it says because he wasn't perfect, he had to bring sacrifices for himself first, and then on behalf of the rest of the people to get right with God. So a very important role and a very important part of how things were set up in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. So a couple of things there. Chosen, offered gifts, represented the people to God, presented sacrifices for sins, had access to the Holy of Holies. Very special. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. Look, the whole thing of Hebrews is Jesus is even, fulfills all the things from the Old Testament. And saying in the same way, Jesus was chosen. And they quote Psalm 2-7, that Jesus was chosen as a son. They quote Psalm 
110 verse 4, that Jesus is going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, that dude, who we hardly know anything about, but the most important part that we know about him was this. He was both king and high priest, which in the Jewish system, that never happened. So it makes Jesus very special because as we heard about two weeks ago, he's king of kings. He's also our high priest. So you can see in this one passage, it references Jesus as son, Jesus as king, Jesus as high priest, which with our probably non-Jewish background doesn't make a big deal, but if you're a Jewish reader, you're going like, wow, Jesus is unique. He was chosen, and he represents us to God. Jesus offered his life. He was the once and for all sacrifice, which we were just singing about this whole morning. He gives us access to God, our Father. Whew, pretty important. So here's my symbol to help represent access, okay? This is my uh, tag for up at the deck at the hospital that I can just go click to any of those things on the side, and all of a sudden, the door opens. I have access. And if you come with me, you also have access. Do you understand that Jesus gives us access to our Father in heaven? And if we're in Christ, if we're with Jesus, guess what? We have access. Not anything we've done. It's like, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. And he gives us access. How can we gather this morning and worship God and cry out, Abba, Father? Because we're with Jesus. He gives us access. It's incredible. We have access to God as our Father. So let me see if I can clip that there, and that will remind you that everything we're talking about right now is Jesus gives us access. He's our high priest. He represents us before God. And what do we see that Jesus did? It says this, prayer and petitions. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions to God. Jesus was a man of prayer. He brought us before God. And what did those sometimes look like? He says this, with fervent cries and tears to God, the only one who saves heard him because of his reverent submission to God's will. Son to father. Relational. Gary just brought that this morning, didn't he? Saying, you know, just imagine Jesus saying these words to his father when he was here on planet earth. He did. Abba, father, it's close, it's personal, it's access. And what do we see? We see that Jesus was pretty real and raw with his prayers. It says with fervent cries and with tears. So my famous box of Kleenex, which I carry with me all the time, because you never know when people are going to have a good cry. And sometimes our best cries are at our prayer meetings when we call out to God. Now, I'm not saying every prayer time is fervent cries and tears, but maybe some of them should be. So every Sunday morning, before our meeting from about 8.30 to about 9.30. You can gather upstairs. We have people come and pray, and we were praying this morning. And bless Trevor. Trevor's praying. And all of a sudden, you know, he's just praying away, and all of a sudden gets a bit choked up, and voice kind of changes a little bit, and there's some tears, and kind of just, and I'm like, Trevor is praying like Jesus with fervent prayers, and with tears. So that's how Jesus prayed. Think about it. It's amazing, isn't it? 
And Jesus was raw before his father, and Jesus didn't hide his feelings or his emotions. Jesus didn't ignore the facts or the reality of, his, of the situations, but he petitioned God. And as he taught his disciples earlier, Father, I'm asking, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what do we see in this passage as well? That Jesus faced persecution. Jesus suffered. It's some of the words we sang this morning in our songs, wasn't it? Well done again, Taylor and Ella for Josh leading us, picking those songs. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was shamed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was ignored. Jesus faced threats. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus had endured physical pain. Jesus took a beat, beatings. Jesus had a crown of thorns placed on him. Jesus died on a cross. He was persecuted. And the Bible says that Jesus is a man of sorrows. He's familiar with suffering. And he learned obedience. Even though he was God's son, and even as Gary said, he was perfect. Even though he faced temptation, he never gave in. Yet, he learned obedience as a son. He submitted to God's will, even death on a cross. Do you remember him in the garden before going to the cross? God, if there's any other way, would you make a way? But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus submitted to God's will even though it meant persecution and suffering. And he tasted death. And by the power of God, he was resurrected three days later. And he ascended to his Father in heaven. And what's he doing now? It says he's at his Father's right hand and he's our great high priest. What does he do? He lives to intercede for his people. So what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for us. He's praying for those who are yet to know him. He's praying for those who he saved, that he's going to save them from the uttermost to the uttermost. He lives to intercede for us so that all that have been given to him will not be lost. Isn't that encouraging? So Julia can come up and say, just need, someone maybe needs to hear today that God, nothing's too big for God to redeem. To God, God's our redeemer. And we're talking before, whew, how many people in our lives have prayed for us? <laughs> And Jesus is praying for us. Isn't that encouraging this morning? You might think nobody even knows your name in the whole world. Jesus, as our high priest, he is interceding. He's praying for us. Jesus, not only praying for us, as we said earlier, Jesus understands. Jesus cares. Jesus intervenes. Folks, that's the Jesus we behold. That's the Jesus we fix our eyes on and say, Jesus, you're our high priest. You came down out of heaven. You left the glory of heaven to live on planet Earth. While you were living on planet Earth, you obeyed your Father. You prayed for your disciples. You prayed for those with fervent prayers and with tears. You faced persecution. You tasted death. And now you're resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and you care and you understand and you have compassion and you're interceding for us. Folks, when we just say we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not just some like nice saying or nebulous, I'm just going to fix my eyes on Jesus, but I really don't know what to mean. This is the Jesus we're fixing our eyes on. He's got his eyes fixed on you. That's so encouraging. It's so comforting that even in the midst of it, Jesus is praying and interceding. 
And folks, when we say we behold Jesus and we want to know who Jesus is, and therefore, in light of that, we get our identity. In light of that, this is who we are in Christ. We're a royal priesthood. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. He goes on to say, once you weren't a people, once you were a nobody, once you were alienated, once, but now in Christ, guess what? You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. It's such radical news. In the Old Testament, it was 11 tribes and one tribe, the Levites. They're the only ones who were allowed to be the priests. Peter's saying, in Christ, guess what? Everyone's a priest. In Christian terms, we call it, it's the priesthood of all believers. It's not just relegated to a few people. We all are. If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a priest. What does that mean? It means you're chosen. It means you get to represent people before God. It means you get to use gifts. In Old Testament, they offer gifts. Guess what? In New Testament, you're given gifts. You're given spiritual gifts that you can use to serve others and to offer them to God. You can use your natural gifts, talents, and abilities. We don't need sacrifices anymore. Jesus is the sacrifice. We're the living sacrifices. We say, Jesus, I'll follow you, as we sang this morning, which sometimes is a bit hard. That was a tough song to sing, even though it's a really good song. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you want me to, even though whatever it costs me, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> I like the part where you're at my right hand. I like that part. <laughs> I like the part that you're with me. I don't like the part where it says, I will follow you wherever you want me to go, even though whatever it costs me, I'll follow you. It's kind of like, first time through, I was a bit silent, to be honest. That's a tough one. But Jesus, all I want is you. All I want you is to be central and to be first. I was like, Holy Spirit, you gotta help me make that real. I know that is the right thing to sing. I know that is the right thing, but God, I'll be honest, sometimes whew, I'm too selfish to want to actually mouth those words. But we're a royal priesthood. It's really not about Joe Crummy and what I want anymore. It's God. I'm here to represent and serve you. You can take my life. It's yours. I'll follow you. And folks, we have the great privilege, as Jesus did, that we have access to God. We have access to God through Jesus. That we get to pray and petition God. We get to pray and petition God for ourselves and for others. What a privilege. We can offer up with fervent cries to God. And folks, it gets messy and we need a lot of Kleenex. Because sometimes our prayer meetings, you know what? It's messy. And sometimes we can't even get the words out. And as I said, it's not like that every time. It's okay if it's... But sometimes. Because as we pray and as we have access to God and as God's Spirit, we begin to feel and to pray the things that are on God's heart. And God's a compassionate God. God's a God of justice. God's a merciful God. But God's not cold. God's not distant. God's involved. And we get to cry out to our Father in heaven. 
and it's relational, but we can be real and raw and honest with God, and it can be messy. And our prayers this morning upstairs before this meeting, some of them were from the Psalms, Lord, how long? Lord, how long? We've been praying for a lot of these things for a long time. And you get emotional, it's like, God, how long? You're allowed to be real with God. You say, God, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. You can be real and raw with God. But at the end of it, we always pray this, as Jesus did, Lord, let your will be done. Prayed with Jean two weeks ago as we've been praying for Paul for many, many, many years. And I do believe God extended Paul's life many times through to the prayers of his people. And we were praying for Paul two weeks ago. And obviously we were praying for his healing and we wanted God to sustain his life even more. But bless Jean. Jean always at the end of those prayers, but Lord, let your will be done. And two weeks ago, we were praying just in our Sunday morning, and I remember we were singing a song about, we were repeating Jesus, and Gary, you got up, and we're just going to focus on the name of Jesus. We went back and prayed with Jean. I couldn't even pray any words. I just cried. We just spoke the name of Jesus. She cried, I cried. And we read this verse last week at Paul's memorial from Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word, wordless groans. Folks, isn't it good to know sometimes when you're choked up and sometimes you just can't even come up with the words? The Holy Spirit takes those groanings and they're a prayer to God. The Holy Spirit takes them he understands. Folks, it's messy, but it's good. And folks, and I know we have kids here, so I'm just going to say this once and then set it down. But folks, there's persecution that comes with following Jesus. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus suffered. Folks, so will we. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now in our culture, pretty much in Fredericton, most of that happens through social media, maybe some broken relationships, maybe some gossip. People reject you, shamed you, canceled you, mocked you, ignored you looked over you, threatened you, betrayed you. But most of us haven't hit the physical pain yet. That we haven't been beaten. Or imprisoned. We haven't suffered probably much physical pain yet. And today, whether you know it or not, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And as I said with you earlier in October, I was at our global conference with our international leaders for our family of New Frontiers churches. And there was about 160 of us from all around the world. 
and I was in the minority. There's not many times I'm in the minority. <laughs> but I was in the minority of people who didn't have any stories about being beat up or persecuted or really suffering for Jesus. But our friends and our family of churches who are our fellow priesthood of believers, many from different parts of the world got up and as part of their story shared about persecutions, threats, beatings, shaming, arrest, imprisonment, and even those who were in their churches and that being martyred for Jesus. And because of the sensitivity of everything, as I said before, we weren't allowed to share on social media pretty much anything about our gathering. And we're really not allowed to share any of the stories that were shared or mentioning names or even name the places because these people are living with those threats and everything every day. But I'm going to share two stories that I won't mention any names or places or locations or anything, but two that stood out to me. One is sort of a good news story and one is a tough story. So one of the guys who shared, he shared about a fellow elder in his church and this elder in his church um, a lot of times on the street would go and share about Jesus and pray for people and he was always threatened, stop doing that, don't do that. And, but he kept doing it out of obedience and one day uh, as he was doing that, um, basically he was, he was framed. So people got together and they put a false report in about him that he had beaten up some kids. So a mob came and they poured motor oil over him and you can imagine what was gonna come next. And the police stepped in and it's a bit like what Mark shared about the Apostle Paul a couple weeks ago, how actually the police stepped in and actually saved his life, but he went to prison. And this all happened, nobody knew it was gonna happen, so like all of a sudden, I'm going to the market on Saturday morning to pray for some people and I don't come home and Angela and the kids don't know where I've gone and that's it, like there's no, so he was gone, people didn't know what happened and he's in prison and folks, it's not a nice prison. And as he shared the first couple of days, he was scared, bullied, thought he was gonna lose his life, the whole thing. And on about the third day, he was like in prison, and it's an overcrowded prison, and he just thought, well, I think I'm gonna die, so I might as well go out worshiping Jesus. So that morning he got up, and he's with 30 other guys in a room for about size of about five guys. So there's no, and they're all like murderers and everything. It was a tough situation. So he got up and he started to sing and he started to worship and he started to pray. And of course, everyone was like, dude, like what are you doing? And he's like, well, this is what I do at home, so I'm gonna do it here. And of course he thought this is the end, I'm done. But as he did it more and more, the guy in that prison cell who was like the kingpin of that was like, this guy's under my protection, no one touch him. So he's like, well, maybe I'm not gonna die today. 
And over the course of the next couple of weeks, the atmosphere in that prison cell changed. And he was able to share Jesus, and people got saved. So much so, the prison authorities were like, they took him out of that cell, and he thought, now I'm really in trouble. And they're like, whatever you've done, you've changed that atmosphere. We've got a really tougher section over here. We're going to plunk you (laughs) in there. And so that's what they did. And so he did the same thing. And basically, because the accusation against him was against kids, no bail, no anything, family finally figured out the church where he was, and a lawyer came and was just like, you're, dude, you're in here for like two to five years because it's just going to be in the legal courts. And even if we can get you out, it's going to be a long time. So a certain time in, same thing happened in that, and one night he had a vision of him walking out of the prison. So the next morning he got up, however you can get dressed better and all that in a prison, I have no idea, but anyways, and everyone was like, what are you doing? He said, I'm going home today. (laughs) And of course everyone's like, you're not going home. He's like, no, my God has shown me I'm going home. And later that afternoon, the warden came, you're going home. I know, you can, that is. <laughs> Folks, that's just one of the stories of our friends in a different country, but same as us. Now that's a good news story. Can I just say they're not all like that? Most are like that story without such a happy ending in our world. And I had a meal with one of our friends, and basically he and his family live like this. They are sharing the gospel, working with churches, all undercover, and basically his life is this. They always have a bag packed because usually they get a call from basically the secret police of that country saying, you have five minutes, there's a mob coming, you got five minutes to go, and so they'll flee for a couple of days, come back, and that can get repeated over and over and over again. And at times they have to go for months and just take what they have, and God provides. And I asked him, I said, how do you do that. And he said, well, it was much easier when I was single. It's harder now that I have kids. And I said, well, where'd you learn that? He said, well, I grew up in, that's what my dad did. And so he said, I grew up with this. So that, to me, this is normal. My wife doesn't think this is normal. <laughs> but to me, this is normal. This is like what you read in the book of Acts is what we do today. Now, here's the crazy thing. I could go on and on and on. But here's the thing I found amazing every time So they would ask me about, so how are things in Canada? And I'd be like, let's talk a bit more about your stories. And every one of them said, I would not trade where I am to be where you are. They think we have it harder here. Because there it's very black and white, dark and light, very, I'm following Jesus no matter what it costs me because here we're so comfortable. We have so many options and so many choices. 
So if you want to find out more, because I can't say much about those things, I'm involved with a group called Open Doors Canada, and so I think I've got the website up there on the next one maybe, and it's opendoorsca.org. And so Open Doors Canada works with uh, persecuted church around the world, and so they're Canadian, and they work with a bunch of different agencies. And so, for example, tonight uh, on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, 8 p.m. our time, they're working with six different charities to do an hour session on YouTube where you can learn more about the persecuted church. You can, there's opportunities to pray. Um, so if you want to join in, you can do that from your own home. And uh, I've, been, I've done many things with them, uh, which is really encouraging and challenging. And so I just want to read, as we close, I just want to read this letter. This is from their executive director, Open Doors Canada, Gary Stagg. And he, so I get, you get an email every couple weeks, and then they send you every month, they've got a prayer calendar. So if you want to download the prayer calendar, it gives you different things to pray for, for different parts of the world. So I know that's beyond our New Frontiers family, but it gives you some organized things if you want to take advantage of that, and I'll put it in our email this week. So this is what Gary, this is just from a couple days ago, November 3rd. Dear Joe, every week I, I read confidential reports outlining detailed accounts of both psychological and physical abuse against Christians. People are beaten, imprisoned, and sometimes even killed for their faith in Jesus. The stories are mostly about adults because of their involvement in leading underground churches, distributing Bibles, or because of their efforts in evangelism. But as I read, my breath often catches on two particular words, father and mother. And so he gives examples, they've changed their names, you know. For example, so-and-so, 36-year-old mother of four, and he says this, when the persecuted person is a mother or father, it has extra implications, and the children are often left to pick up the pieces and carry on. Children of the persecuted church often feel rejected and unwanted as they walk their community or schoolyard. They carry a sense of paranoia that prevents them from fully enjoying childhood experiences. Their familiar family customs, favorite meals, customary bedtime rituals, Christmas traditions erased by tragedy. Unfortunately, there are also times when the toll on children is more direct. My heart aches when I hear about another child who experienced direct persecution from classmates or was abducted due to their faith in Jesus. Regardless of how uncomfortable these accounts are, it's important for me to know their stories. We must pray that God will give them strength wisdom and support to process and heal from their experiences. We must also be inspired by them. And the reports I read, the Christians who are exalted and injured spend little time wallowing or complaining about their circumstances. There's little time or energy for woe is me. Instead, many of them call for peace and patience. They rally to love and forgive their enemies. Perhaps one persecuted father said it best, quote, we try to teach them that in spite of hostility, they should even pray for those who are bullying them. He talks about this day, of the International Day of the Persecuted Church. This season gives us many opportunities to demonstrate that God is with us and his light shines in and through us. And he says, as you read in their prayer update, may you be inspired to pray for children of the persecuted church. May you also be inspired to live with the same attitude we see in these family members who live where faith costs the most. So folks, as we behold Jesus, one aspect of Jesus is he's our high priest. He's chosen, he represents us before God. He was the sacrifice. 
He has access to his Father with prayers and petitions, fervent prayers with tears. He prays and he intercedes for us today. And Jesus was persecuted. He understands what it's like. And folks, for those of us who were following Jesus and everyone has an invitation to follow Jesus, we're the priesthood now, all of us. It's not just for a few. Everyone who's a Christian is a priest. We have direct access to God. We have access through Jesus. We can pray. We can petition God. We can ask for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. We're going to be persecuted, folks. Obedience just leads to suffering. That's how it goes. And that's where we grow, and that's where we mature, and that's where we become most like Jesus. And it's that Psalm 3 that Tim read out during worship. Read that again in light of this message. So this week, can I encourage us to pray for the persecuted church? You might want to join that Open Doors tonight, opendoorsca.org. You can go on their website and you'll see lots of different things. It's a great resource for us, available to us. There's an invitation this week. Sometimes you're like, I don't even know, Joe, where to start. Just do this as the invitation. Take even five minutes. Just put it on your phone. Put in, click, five minutes. And it will, and just begin to pray. Our Father, we can come, we have access. God, I pray for the persecuted church. Lord, I don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit will take the things we can't even put words to. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to ask Taylor and the team to come and we're going to take a few minutes to pray. So if you're able, why don't you stand? I just want to pray for us now and then we'll see how the Spirit's going to lead here. We might pray for a couple of things as we have a few minutes left. I'm going to pray for us as a local church, for those online. One of the things Jesus said is that his house would be a house of prayer for all nations. And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask now, I thank you for your great sacrifice. I thank you that you've given us access to Father as we follow you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you that we, as a local church at Christ Central Church Fredericton, Lord, we have a role to play. God, that we're a priesthood, that, Lord, we can come with prayers and petitions for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our network of friends, for the nations. And, God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, one of the things this year that we've just felt on our heart, we want to become more of a praying church. So, God, we've given more and more space and opportunities for us to pray individually and together. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue to fan that into flame? I pray, would you help us this week to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are persecuted. Lord, help us to teach us how to pray. Lord, may we be a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, lead us now, Lord. God, if there's things in your heart that you want us to pray for even now, Lord, as we sing and worship, direct us, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>